0: Hey everybody, welcome back. In today's episode of Raising Unicorns, iOS 14.5 changes were not the death of data-driven results. Here's what you should do next. You don't have to be a unicorn to capture the magic of a great business. Harmon Brothers has helped countless companies, both big and small, grow into the businesses they were meant to be. Here on Raising Unicorns, we share the marketing secrets we've learned to help you raise your business by hundreds of thousands to hundreds of millions of dollars and beyond. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Raising Unicorns podcast. I am Shane Rickard, CEO of Harlem Brothers. And today I have with me the one, the only, Tom Freaking Broshinsky. Oh. <laughs> Tom is our lead media buyer here at Harlem Brothers. He's been buying content online for how many years, Tom? Too long. He worked with our content back in the day in 2017, 18?
1: 2017.
0: 2017 when we did a campaign for a company called Camp Chef where Tom was working as one of their ad buyers back in the day. So he got a taste of the honey that is Harm Brothers content. Tasted, he's like, so I good. never Oh, it tastes so good. And he was like, I never want to go back. So then he was like, can I work there? And we were like, wow, you're really good ad buy. You made this thing produce a lot of results for Camp Chef. Sure. Come on over.
1: <laughs> That's exactly how the conversation went, Shane. Just like verbatim.
0: So Tom, has been our lead ad buyer. He's bought, no joke, probably 30 plus million dollars worth of ad buying over the last five years as he's been here at Harm, Brothers. there's some of a small amount. It's got a lot of experience. And so one of the things that is something we've talked about on the podcast before, and we're going to talk about a little bit more in depth today, is attribution. The greatest and worst thing to ever happen to digital advertising. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Unless you're like not a marketing person or you're a marketing person, you've been living under a rock for the last three years, there has been a big shift in attribution and how things are tracked. So Tom, maybe take us back a couple of years to setting a stage for how cookies and how cookies worked for attribution in the past.
1: It was so wonderful. It was a time of unicorns and gold and wonderful return on ad spend within Facebook because we're going pre-IOS 14.5. So we're going back two years, two and a half years, where the pixel and the tracking when someone clicked on an ad on Facebook or Google or really any platform, they would click on the ad, go to the website, and the relay of that information from the website back to the ad platform was really solid. I mean, it was within probably 75, 85% accuracy, which for an ad platform was pretty cool. And it was uh, reliable enough that brands and agencies like Harmer Brothers that we could rely on. It was wonderful. But iOS 14.5 came through, made some changes. Thanks, Tim Cook. (laughs) Yeah, it it was Apple. But there's also other platforms out there like Brave and DuckDuckGo and even Firefox. And Chrome even have made changes to where that tag, that cookie is removed after 24 hours. So even if you're not on an iOS device, a lot of that tracking has been impacted. And people in general are more savvy and they're more aware. I mean, there's probably a greater adoption of VPNs. So all those things have impacted the... Advertising platform's ability to provide attribution now, like you're doing good on Facebook if your attribution is within probably 45 to
0: 60%. Accurate. You mean? Yeah. Which is a far cry from what it was just a few short years ago. So Tom, let's go back now into present time about attribution. And just from your perspective as an ad buyer, why is having the best attribution you can get, why is that important for you as an ad buyer?
1: It's part of the decision-making process to scale or not scale. If I can see what is and what is not working. So having that degree of clarity where I can get in and look at how an ad is performing, how an ad set or a campaign is performing. Without it, it gets really, really difficult. And it's hard to scale or you know, working with a creative team or a client and we're testing something specific. If I don't have a way of attributing where that traffic is coming from and which ad content it's driving that, it's very difficult to definitively go back and say, or even directionally, say, this is what is driving this.
0: Back in the day, before online advertising and before online like e-commerce, the way it would work is you were in retail, that was the channel, or you owned your own retail stores. And the way you would run advertising is there would be a flight of ads that would go out, whether that was on billboards or radio or TV, and then you'd have measured lift at retail consumption or whatever your channel of distribution was. Then you'd have to wait six weeks to see what that like sales report was coming in from all the different retailers and all the different stores. And it was very much... So like, we don't know which ad they listened to or saw or read that made them do this, but we know that it increased sales by 20% or 5% or whatever it was. The internet came around and with the cookies that Tom was talking about, that was like, what? We can track everything? So I think it made advertisers better, you know, in a lot of ways. Like Tom was saying just barely, when Tom has good attribution and good tracking, it gives the creative team at Harmon Brothers, good feedback on what's working, what's not, or how we might be able to tweak our creative that we have creative for clients to maybe perform better than it is in its existing form with just simple edits that could potentially increase its conversion rate. Like Tom said, if you don't have that tracking, you're kind of in old school days, you know, where you're like, I guess we'll scale up. We don't, we think it's going to work, you know, maybe. And so that's kind of scary. Like, unless you're a big brand that just has a fixed budget of like 5 million in ad spend for this year, just it's got to be spent because it's... Marks, unless you're that kind of company, and even then there's still going to be some level of scrutiny on it, right? Unless you're that type of company, oh, yeah. you're like, I don't I don't want to lean into this if I don't have any confidence. That's like crazy talk. I'm going to lean into something else that I have confidence in, whether that's email marketing, because you know that that does well. And you have better tracking on that or whether it's some other channel working with influencers whatever. If you don't have confidence, you can't lean into it because that's potentially wasted spend if you're not seeing how effective it is.
1: And a lot of attribution tools. I know that's something that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, but having that attribution and those tools also gives you the ability to look at what path a consumer takes. Because it used to be that you would send all your traffic to a page and hopefully you can kind of get an idea of what's going on, where are they going, where are they coming Mm -hmm. from, do they see any of their ads, or you had to make sure you excluded all other traffic sources. So you only had one traffic source to a dedicated page. Uh, So having you know, attribution tools
0: landing page segmentation where every channel has its own unique landing page. We've worked with clients that have done that. It's miserable.
1: It is hard. It's very tedious. A
0: lot of work too on the development side for creating unique pages and tags. It
1: is. It's a double-edged sword because with that, you do get a little bit more degree of clarity because you can say, I'm spending X amount of dollars for this channel and only this channel is driving traffic or sales to this particular page. But without, unless you're only sending one ad to to that page, you still don't know, Mm. is it this ad? Is it that ad? Let's say you're running 35 ads Mm -hmm. to that page, you still don't 100% know of those 35, which one is actually driving the sales.
0: Yeah, which gets infinitely more complicated if you're like, okay, well, each ad is going to a different page. And then if you've got 200 ads running, you'd have two different unique pages to really lock down like which one's doing well. So without a good attribution system, it's kind of a mess. It kind of becomes infinitely more complex and more challenging, right? Tom, walk me through as an ad buyer, you set up attribution for clients every time with some level of, we have to figure out tracking. Sometimes they have it in place, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we're helping them set up the pixels. Sometimes they we're helping them set up their attribution software. For it. So, what are the key factors that affect the quality of attribution
1: data, and just making sure that that data is as clean as? possible. Let's break that down a little bit. How do you ensure that data is clean? One of the first things is just making sure that everything is triggering or firing correctly with the Facebook Pixel, Google Analytics, and your e-commerce platform. Not long ago, probably about two and a half months ago, I did this with a client because they hadn't done it yet. Like, okay, we want to scale up spend, but we don't know How accurate is the Facebook data? How accurate is the Google Analytics data? It was a little bit tedious, but it was super informative for us. And even though this particular client, they don't yet, although they will here in the next week have an attribution solution, but part of being able to define scale and working with what we had at that time was going in and each day I would look at the data for the pixel fires in Events Manager. I know this is kind of getting in the weeds. Some may understand this, some may not. And if you don't, <laughs> hit me up on email. Happy to respond, tom at harmanbrothers.com. But what I did was that I just looked at the Facebook data, compared it to the Google Analytics data, and then compared it to my source of truth, their e-commerce platform, and started to track that day after day for about a two-week period of going back historically over two weeks, just so that I could understand and the client that we could understand what margin of error potentially do we have on that platform. And it's even if you can't get your data super clear, it's just understanding where the shortfalls are in those platforms. And then at that point in time, if you don't have an attribution solution, then at least understanding that gives you more information so you can make a better data-driven decision. Because until you know that, this particular client, they're like, oh, we want to scale, but not really. But that particular client in December, I think we spent... Like, I think it was like $35,000 in December. But after I kind of went through that process and we knew that we could start scaling in January, we spent over 120 grand on Facebook without an attribution solution. So just understanding your data and getting clear on that can be a game changer.
0: Let me ask you this then, Tom. There's two major ways that we've looked at it. There's the, the classic return on ad spend, you put in a dollar, how much do you actually get out of it according to your attribution tool, whether that's Facebook or some of the third party? Or there's like the a broader perspective of, we call it the media efficiency rate is what we call it here at Harm but there's the MER. The idea there is taking a global approach of like, okay, how efficient is your spend in increasing the overall revenue of the company or overall revenue of a particular product potentially? And so saying, okay, we spent $100 on Facebook on this day and we saw $150 in sales. So we would say that's a media efficiency rate of 1.5. Tom, walk me through like why you would use MER or why you would use return on has been
1: a uh, ROAS one versus the other. And what are the kind of the advantages and disadvantages of both? I really like using MER, particularly for clients who are starting to diversify their traffic sources because of tracking issues within the advertising platforms. And if they don't have a tracking solution in place, MER is really solid just to see and say how much are we spending? How much are we making? And are we doing that profitably? And, and that's, you know, of course, working with a client and determining where is a profitable MER. In general, though, it's really nice just because it eliminates some of the nitty gritty that comes by digging in on a ROAS side, because typically when you start going into a ROAS, it's like, how is Facebook performing as a return on ad spend? How is Google performing as a return on ad spend? And even those clients and even myself, I've found this. You get hung up on how a channel is performing and sometimes forgetting that the intent drastically impacts that return on ad spend. A Google user has a much higher intent than a Facebook user, and that's going to impact your return on ad spend. MER, I love it because it gives you a very holistic view, doesn't give you the real granular side of things. ROAS could be really good, but it has to be taken within context. You're using an
0: MER approach, how important is it to understand like the kind of the baseline of your sales before you turn on advertising? Or if you've always run advertising, how important is it to understand that baseline before
1: you start using that approach? I think if anything, if you're going with an MER approach, you need to at minimum understand what is your goal acquisition cost? At what point can you acquire someone and have it be a break even? Because then at that point in time, you're able to with Using MER, start saying, okay, this is our break even acquisition cost and it relates to this kind of MER. So if I increase my acquisition cost, meaning I'm willing to instead of pay $10 to acquire a customer, I'm willing to pay $15 to acquire a customer. How does that impact my MER? Does it go up or does it go down? So when you first start going with an MER approach, you need to be willing to be flexible with it. And I would say, understand. That at minimum, you want a one MER, because in theory, that's kind of like a, your break-even, that if I'm spending X amount of dollars, I'm bringing in a dollar for every dollar I spend. So you're breaking even. That's breaking even, not including cost of goods sold, right? Yeah, I guess it depends on your acquisition cost model, and some CAC models will include your cogs and shipping and everything like that, making sure that everyone is very clear and it's very definitive on how you are measuring and tracking that. So are you going to include shipping? Are you not? Are you just looking at, you know, your general acquisition cost? Are you not even going to, you know, include COGS in that? So just kind of understanding those things and having those discussions, it's going to be a bit of a nuisance uh, on the front end when you're going down the MER route or ROAS route, really either one, but understanding those things are going to better help you define on what you do based on the results. And as you move forward,
0: some companies we've worked with, they don't look like as a variable expense that's incurred and realized when the purchase happens. They're like, we already have investment capital that's been allocated for production and for inventory. So now we're just willing to spend and to learn. Obviously, they can't spend $100 and only sell $100 worth of stuff infinitely because you'll have to pay for inventory and shipping and other overhead costs. That's already been accounted for and you're just like, let's at least do a break even one-to-one so we're spending 100 and getting 100 and then we can optimize and test into a way where we can get that to do a two-to-one, a three-to-one, a four-to-one, at least allows you at first to have some runway of if we're at a one-to-one, we can still continue to run ads, bring in money, and then optimize that. So hopefully you get to that point relatively quickly where you're spending a dollar and if your cost of goods sold is 50% of your product cost, if you spend a dollar and you're bringing a dollar and 50, you're covering your bases in total if you're including all that cost of goods sold and shipping and overhead. I think that way is a healthier way to look at it. It allows you to do more optimization, allows you to like Give yourself permission to test and to run, and because the worst thing is when you run a test and you're like, "Well, it's not making enough money, so we should shut it off now." That's the best course of action. So I guess paid ad spend is just dead to us. <laughs> you got to test through and get that up. Almost never do you get like it right out the gate a killer performer for an ad or for a campaign. It usually has to be worked for and kind of optimized into.
1: And if there's a way that you can have an attribution process in place at the very beginning when you start going down that road of doing doing the testing, even if you're not getting a one MER, you can start to see what things you're doing that are going to impact that. So then you can start improving on it and working towards increasing that MER. It's like, is it the ad? Or maybe it's our website. Now, what part of our website could be impacting that? Or do I need to implement an upsell because the ad is doing great at converting people, but the average order value is really low. So what can we do on the website to increase that AOV?
0: Let's talk about paid attribution tools, what they are, what they do that something like Facebook or Google's native pixels do and don't do. And talk me through how those work and why we use them.
1: So Facebook and Google, they're third-party tools. And the data that they have is third-party. So they owe it to their consumer base. You know, some of it is government regulated, that they have to hash that data. And there's other things that impact it, like iOS 14.5, whether someone's on Brave or DuckDuckGo or using Firefox, something like that. Some of that data is masked. When you say they have to hash that data, what does that mean? Sorry. I can't get into Facebook or Google and see that Shane Rickard saw this ad on this date at this time and this location, and he clicked on it and went to the website and made a purchase. Got it. Facebook and Google and any advertising platform, they hash or anonymize that data. So some of that information is still being processed, but... Because of how Facebook and Google and Pinterest and TikTok and Snapchat, all of them operate, they're all impacted by privacy implications. Right. So there's that. What an attribution tool does is that it will see that Shane clicked an ad on Facebook. He goes over to the website and what a attribution tool, and I'll pick on Triple Whale, but they all operate like this, like Wicked Reports, RX. Rockerbox, a bunch of others, they all operate like this. Well, they'll have their own kind of pixel or tag on the site. And they use what's called first party data, which means there's no privacy implication that comes from Apple or others on that. So now they can provide a digital thumbprint to Shane so that they say, okay, he came from this ad because it has this level of tracking on it. And he came to the website at this date. This time, this is where he's engaging. And then if he makes a purchase, then we can match the purchase data with the traffic and the traffic source. Gotcha. So an attribution solution, a paid one, gives you that visibility. So it gets you back up to, you know, an 80, 85, sometimes a 95% accuracy with the content. The other cool benefit that a lot of attribution tools provide is they will provide a view of the customer journey. So we've got one client um, using a tool where if someone sees an ad on Facebook and they go, and once they see an ad on Facebook within two days, they will go to the website and make a purchase. But there's also a portion of them that will see a Google ad and get the email list. If, If their first interaction is a Google ad, they either make a purchase, or they join the email list, but they don't see any Facebook ads. And so that gives us visibility in saying, okay, there's very little overlap from a Google to a Facebook transaction, but there is a fair amount of overlap from Facebook to a Google purchase because Facebook is there to entertain people. People are there to be entertained, not necessarily educated. Right. The Google user is there to be educated, less about being entertained. So
0: it allows you to see like crossover data between where people are coming from, what channel they're coming from, and what they're customer journey looks like
1: yeah which is really valuable and also gives you in many cases a timeline of what it Mm -hmm. takes from the time that someone has that first interaction to when they make a purchase.
0: Which I think is also like really important not only from like understanding costs and understanding how much you should spend on a particular campaign which it is because it helps you have a better accurate picture of what's doing the work and what's not especially if you think your average time to buy is three days and it turns out it's two weeks your decision making around your marketing efforts are going to be very different in how you look at results and how you measure success. If it's two weeks and you only run it for a week and and they don't have those additional touch points that are going to get them to convert in that second week that are active because you've already shut off that campaign or you've shut off to that audience. The chances of acquisition are going to go through the floor. And when they do, you lose potential revenue is on the table, right? So you have to understand, I think, like how long you need to run a test on these different channels in concert with each other. If you do the test for too short, you're going to keep yourself short. You know, you're not seeing the full picture and you won't actually see if it's effective or not. So you got to give it time to do its thing and for people to take its course. Because I think. It, You know, impulse stuff, it's like super low super fast, but like a lot of stuff that we sell like in the 100 plus category, it's not impulse, let's just buy this right now, right? And they vary in length depending on, you know, how complicated the product is and how niche it is, how competitive it is, how well understood it is, how obscure it is. Like those all have a factor into how long you need to be testing something before you like rule it a failure or a success. And I think that triple will and other attribution tools are very helpful to understand that picture of how long it takes for someone to actually buy something and how many touch points they have.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and in the world today, in digital marketing, no one platform can truly claim all of it. There's always going to be a degree of... Unless it's of... the NSA.
0: And then they're like, we can, because we listen to everything you say and encrypt it all. they got have the best attribution platform of all time. If they just were like, we're going to get into the e-commerce business. <laughs> you imagine the U.S. government comes out? So all you guys are complaining about attribution. So we're going to introduce this thing called Omnipresent. And it's an attribution tool. All you have to do is pay 25% more in taxes as a business to have access to it. And you can have perfect attribution to everything.
1: And we'll have two licensing fees. Either you can get our big brother or little brother model. <laughs> <laughs> this is a slight derailment of our conversation, but a lot of people do forget that Your phone and your devices, your connected devices, they are listening on stuff like that. When you accept terms and conditions on Facebook or Google or whatever or Amazon, part of your agreement to those terms and conditions is that they can read your text messages they can look at your search queries
0: listen to you Amazon speak.
1: can go in and look and see what prompts you give your echo dot so that it can give you suggestions on additional things to buy i look at facebook google and programmatic ads so anything that you would see you know here locally we've got ksl so there's a good chance that you would see an ad on ksl on the ksl app for tracker sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours dude
0: there was a time i'm not kidding you i remember when we were in our old office in the South of Provo. It was Benton and I were talking about getting blinds. At our old office, for context, we had this, these old blinds that were like floor to ceiling, like 13 feet tall, like old school. It used to be a furniture store. They wanted to have it be like a big showroom so people could see it from the road, right? It faced south, so it was blindingly bright, unreasonably bright for like working conditions and we had a polished concrete floor, so it just bounced off in your eyes. So we were talking about getting motorized blinds for our office so it would automate because we all wanted to not live in a cave, but we wanted to like not be blinded in the morning. So we were talking about motorized blinds. And I kid you not, I just finished the conversation with Benton. Hadn't Googled this one bit, like never looked it up. It was like the first time we'd even had a conversation about this. And the very first ad that popped up was a motorized blind company. And I showed Benton. He's like, holy freaking crap. He's like, did you Google that? And I'm like, no, you could look, look through all my search histories on any devices. I have not <laughs> searched it once. The I've never typed it. I've never texted it, never slacked it. The only thing I've ever done is had this conversation with you and it has since stopped doing that but there was a time for probably like eight months to a year as before all those congressional hearings where senator orrin hatch made himself look like a complete fool
1: how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service senator we run ads I
0: see. <laughs> but it was before that. But There was so many times where I'd be talking. Okay, here's an example. My wife is going, she's right now at the tire store, like our mechanic, getting our tires replaced or taking off our tires and changing them from snow tires to regular tires. And I got a BF Goodrich tire ad and I definitely did not search for that.
1: <laughs> a lot of people forget they talk about privacy, but they don't remember that Verizon or AT&T or any one of them, will as part of using their services has data that is opened up on the back end to advertisers through programmatic advertising and you can even get to the point of if you ever wonder why you get an ad as soon as you go near let's say a Maverick or a Chevron or a Shell uh-huh. they will set geofencing so that if you go within a certain perimeter certain radius of that location as soon as you enter that and you fit within their parameters you will get an ad as soon as you exit that you're no longer in their targeting. Yeah, I mean it totally makes sense that you can get information like that or it might come up as hey, you've had 10 other friends go here, you should go check it out. Yeah, that's wild. Scary stuff. A lot of people kind of forget that. That's a conversation for another time of going down that rabbit hole.
0: So let's get back on track. To kind of summarize all this, having good attribution is really critical for understanding when to put the pedal to the metal and when to pull back because you want to understand what's working and what's not. And without getting good attribution set up through whatever tool you're using, you could potentially be shutting off an ad that's doing really well or putting a ton of money behind an ad that's not very effective. Some of those key factors of getting everything set up and having your pixel set up in the right place and having all the data flow cleanly and having things segmented as much as makes sense with your website and traffic so you can really see what's working and what's not. That's a huge step for making sure your tracking is working properly. And then one of the other things we talked about, just to wrap up, is MER versus ROAS. Remember, return on ad spend is a direct return on ad spend that's tracked specifically for that purchase, whereas media efficiency rate is more talking about a global okay, we spent this much and overall revenue went up this much. So it's kind of a more of a holistic global view of it. And then just talking about different paid attribution tools, we use Triple Will Harm Brothers with many of our clients. It's a, kind of the preferred. They're not sponsoring this podcast, by the way. You could, Triple Will execs. But they're kind of our preferred vendor that we're working with. And having a first party attribution tool like Triple Will is really helpful, like Tom explained, because you're not relying on third party data that's deleted after 24 hours, but you're actually gathering first party data that can be used and mapped out to see an entire customer journey and see what it actually takes for a customer to how many touch points it takes and how long it takes for a customer to purchase and which ads are on that journey for those purchases. And that's super helpful for understanding the marketing mix and what ads you are running and what's effective and what's not. So any last parting words for someone who's working on attribution for their
1: product or their company? What's your last parting words of advice? I think if anything one shop around shop around for what different tools because when it comes to attribution tools I've found some that are $50 a month I have found some that are 3 grand a month there's a huge variety they offer a lot of different bells and whistles but at the end of the day some of the most simplified ones, the most basic ones can at times be the most effective ones. And sometimes simpler is better. I had a client where they did have the setup where they could do duplicate pages super easily, so much so that we had a different URL for every ad that I was running. So I was running 25 ads. I had 25 URLs going to 25 different pages. That was probably the most accurate attribution I had in that particular client. We got up to spending about 27 grand a day and it was really basic. It was really simple. The downside though, we couldn't see the customer journey. There were some downsides to it, obviously. And it was also, you know, a fair amount of work on the back end. It was a freaking tank little work.
0: Not only for you, (laughs) but also for the company we were servicing. They had team members on their side that would have to go in and do data matching every single day to make sure everything was updated for Tom so he could make decisions on ad buying. That's true. It is possible to do it all manually, but it is, whew,
1: doggy. It does definitely come with its own amount of work. Attribution tools simplify that a lot. But shop around and don't be afraid to, you know, if you need to keep it simple, that's okay. Start out with something simple. And then as you move along, get better data, then start graduating up to bigger and better solutions.
0: All right, cool. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for your time and for offering your big
1: voluptuous brain. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm glad I could provide my (laughs) big voluptuous brain for you, Shane, (laughs) and the listeners. All right, Tom. Until next time.
0: Hasta luego. Peace. I read all your comments, usually when I'm on the toilet. 2TMI? Sorry, not sorry. So if there's a marketing topic you want to know more about, let us know in the comments section, and we'll address it in a later episode. Do it right now. Just don't forget.